to this computer. Welcome, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you happen to be around the world. This is the long-delayed Groovy podcast coming back again. I should probably stop commenting on that, but uh, it has been a little while since our previous one. But I don't know about Sergio, but my schedule's calmed down a little bit. Maybe we'll be able to get on a bit more of a regular schedule. My name is Ken Cousin. I'm podcasting from Marlboro, Connecticut, and I am joined by the inimitable. Go ahead, Sergio. Why don't you take it from there? Yeah. So, uh, hi everyone. I am Sergio Delamo. Uh, the Groovy podcast, uh, I have to say it's delayed because of my fault. Uh, Ken wanted to schedule an episode much earlier, but I couldn't make it. Uh, my schedule is a bit crazy nowadays, uh, but happy to be here again. Um, happy to be talking to the Groovy community, which is fantastic. So yeah, let's get going. Can I ask you a cultural question? I, sure. you know, again, I'm an American, so my cultural knowledge is, well, it's better than most Americans, but that's a really low bar, you know. Um, your full name is Sergio Delamo Caballero, right? Is Correct, I, yeah. I've heard that in some Spanish countries or Spanish-speaking countries, you have two surnames, one uh, from the maternal side, one from the paternal side. That's correct, uh, yeah. Is that how yours works? Which one do you use? Yeah, yeah. How do you fill in forms? What do you do? Uh, yeah, Delamo is uh, from my father and Caballero is from my mother. And uh, I typically, I don't know, when I am in Spain, I typically use both. <laughs> but uh, when I am uh, online, I typically use only my first name sometimes. <laughs> uh, sometimes a bit difficult in uh, airplanes, uh, boarding cards, because right. my name actually is quite long. Mm -hmm. so it can be tricky but yeah i don't know it's uh, the, the the people from the boarding pass uh, they are used to because it's not just in spain it's as you said it's in in other countries in south america as well um so yeah it's cool now you can choose actually so before it was typically always like the father name first now you can choose whether you want uh, your mother name to be first and your father name to be second and I think the only requisite that you have to do is that if you choose one order, your second child has to follow the same order. Ah. So you cannot have like your sister with different order than you. Uh, but yeah, that's that's how it is. Yeah. But I typically go with Sergio de la Moya. Because I knew I normally see you listed as just de la Moya. I never I, I rarely see the caballero, but I do see it occasionally, and I just wanted to make sure I get it right more or less but okay i was just curious any rate um any rate this is of course the groovy podcast oh, uh just a moment there we go um let's start off with the one of the pieces of really interesting news this was announced on twitter and of course it's a it's a big deal is that great conf is back the the great conference that talks about groovy and related issues but it's not just great conf now it's great conf along with um, JDKIO, apparently. Yeah, it's great. I think they were going to do the same uh, merging of both conferences back when COVID hit. Uh, so yeah, it's fantastic news. I saw that this yesterday in Twitter. Um, and the call for paper is open. Um, so I have to think uh, what to submit. Um, but hopefully I can make it. It's November. Uh, 16 and 17 right in in denmark 
Um, I actually met Ken in person back in GRConf 2018, maybe. Yeah. Uh, or 2017, when you were like keynote speaker. I, I don't remember exact, the exact year. But yeah, it's great. If you are involved in the Groovy community, uh, this is the conference to go. Uh, because yeah, it's a good opportunity to see people like Vladimir, who goes like every year. And, mm-hmm. And all the people from Denmark who organized the conference, or Soren. Um, so yeah, um, really exciting. It was. Um, I know that Soren wanted to organize this for a long time, but uh, with COVID, I don't, I don't blame him that it was so difficult to do. So yeah, absolutely looking forward to it. Yeah, I saw the announcement on Twitter, and when I clicked on the link that was given on Twitter, it took me to the JDK.io website, and then we tried this morning going to greatconf.eu, and of course, both are taking you to the same place. So I think the last time they ran it, it was a joint conference. I, I didn't make it to that one, but I've been to a couple of the great confs before that in Copenhagen, and it was re- it was wonderful. I mean, a really good conference there. So I don't know if I'll be able to make it. Uh, European trips are always um, a bit more of a organizational challenge for me. But if you are in Europe, I hope it's basically an automatic that you'll definitely get the opportunity to go there. Uh, incidentally, looking at the website there, and they have all their the um, logos for the various technologies, Groovy and Grails and, and Micronaut. Uh, did you notice they have the new Spock logo up there too? I didn't notice, yeah. Yeah, Uh, that was something that came out a a few months ago that I uh, I remember noticing that the the Spock framework, the wonderful testing framework, when they went to version 2.0, I think it was soon after that, they announced that they now have a a logo on there. And of course, if you're listening to this in in an audible version, then we can't really show it. (laughs) But I encourage you to, to check out Actually, it should be right on the homepage, right? If I go to Spock it's like framework, a, it's like an S with wings, right? Or with ears from Spock, I guess. Yeah, it looks like ears from Spock. Yeah, with yeah. a with an S in it. Actually, you know what? I don't see the logo on the document. Oh, there it is. So if you go to the reference documentation, right in the introduction, they've got the logo, which looks like Spock, and his face is basically replaced with an S. Uh, but it does have the Vulcan ears and very good, you know, and uh, I think in the release notes, they have a link to the um, the person who created the logo. So there's an acknowledgement there. I don't have that handy, but that's, and I think that, I think the person they mentioned, I, no, I better not guess, but at any rate, I, I thought I recognized the name, but I don't know if I got that right. So Spock has a logo and also Spock is on the two dot, X chain now. They're up to 2.1. And I've recently upgraded one of my GitHub repositories to 2.2-M. Is it one or two? Anyway, they've got a milestone version out. And the reason I'm doing that, I mean, not just because I want to keep up with Spock. I don't usually go to milestone versions, but that's where they started to support Groovy 4. So Mm -hmm. I upgraded my basic intro Groovy repository to Groovy 4 a while ago and had difficulties with the Spock tests. But now with the, the milestone version, I can use the, the Spock tests as well. 
we are in MyCat, we are still living in Groovy 3 territory. Mm. We are using uh, Spock 2.1 Groovy 3.0. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what we use. We test every module uh, with Spock. I'm really happy uh, with Spock. So if you are thinking about giving it a try, that's definitely something that for us works really well. Have you used any of the um, new features in Spock, any of the newer stuff in there? Has anything no. changed in your, your way of using it? So I, so I, we use different features. So some of the features that I like a lot is we have a lot of um, tests that require like a sync condition. So we use a lot of these polling conditions a thing that you have in Spock where you can do like new polling conditions dot eventually and then you have a closure and you can like uh, it, I think it by default it waits for like 10 seconds mm. to see if the condition days evaluates through so that's one thing that I think is really nice in Spock that you don't have to add like an uh, external library so for example in my god guides we write them in JUnit 5 and Spock and um, for that thing in JUnit 5 we are typically using this um, I think it's called await utility library mm, right uh, which allows you to do this kind of a sync condition in Spock you do it directly um and what else are we using we're using some um in some test i think we are using the timeout uh, feature although i don't know if timeout is actually a Spock or JUnit. now i'm confused i'm writing so much JUnit 5 <laughs> nowadays that uh, everything gets mixed um but yeah, in general, we are um, kind of using the Spock features that have been there forever. Mm. Uh, but I am pretty much, for me, is a pretty, pretty feature complete, to be honest with you. Yeah, the, the, only really... thing that, the only thing that changed for me in Spock was that when they went to Spock 2, they did, as you say, adopted the engine. They made their own engine for JUnit 5. So yeah. what they call JUnit Jupiter, the JUnit platform, however you want to refer to it, now they are their own engine, if you will, uh, inside of JUnit, which of course they were they were JUnit four before, and it's JUnit five. I've been very pleased with. I've I'm really impressed with the job that the JUnit team did in improving J. You know something that everybody used forever, and now they've made it much much better. And I yeah. like that Spock is compatible with the latest version there. I know that JUnit 5, speaking of that timeout, JUnit 5 has an assert timeout and an assert timeout preemptively, you know, as uh, various assertions. But I think the timeout equals, you know, the property and the annotation. I think that's unique to Spock, I'm pretty sure. But uh, very interesting on there. So I, I did want to mention the, the Spock versions and the the biggest change again is the logo and the usage of Groovy 4, which presumably is coming eventually on that. Now, you, of course, uh, are actually, what's your actual role with the Micronaut platform these days? Are you still the head of the platform or are you are a dev advocate for it? Or what do you actually do with Micronaut now? I am the lead Micronaut engineer yeah. in the object computing team. Mm. Um, so that's uh, the current role. My The, the Micronaut a core development team is basically two teams, the Oracle team and the object computing team. So I am leading the object computing team. Well, um, I'm still doing some advocacy things, but I'm a bit, a bit thin spread. So I try to like do both things. 
Um, but yeah, still involved in a lot of guides. Advocacy, we have to actually pick up some of the advocacy tasks that are a bit on the side. Uh, I've been actually going to conferences since the last month and a half or so. I went to Poland. Uh, my first live conference since the COVID situation started. Mm. was really nice. Uh, I was in, in Krakow uh, and I went to Dublin like a couple of weeks ago to a private event um, for Micronaut and AWS Lambda. So it, it is nice to be back in conferences. I something that I definitely was not a big fan of online conferences. Um, I think online has a lot of potential for training and things like that, but for conferences, I'm not really a believer. Um, but yeah, it was what it was. We didn't have any option but to do it, to either do it online or don't do it at all. So I uh, didn't mind the online conferences, but mostly because I've really adjusted to not traveling. <laughs> And I really have been enjoying not going anywhere, strangely enough. But the no fluff events are now in person again, starting in April. So I've I've been to a couple of those. Um, but speaking of Micronaut, there were a couple of major announcements on that. One is, of course, that the 3.5.1 version was released. And the other had to do with so I don't think I'd have it in here. Something about a, another sponsorship or partnership involved in that. Do you want to comment on either of those? Sure. So since we since we last recorded the last uh, Ruby podcast, I think we have released like several uh, minor releases of Microsoft, which is yeah. where the like I, I like to say that's where the that's Christmas. That's where the new features come hmm. in the minor releases. Um, so we have a couple of new partners. We have. Um, JetBrains, yes. uh, who has been uh, long supporting the Grails community uh, and the Grails team at Object Computing for a long time. Right. And they have been supporting as well the Micron team since we started with Micron. So we, we have been able to use, like, for example, like um, uh, IDEA ultimate licenses and things like that. And they have really supported the community in general. Uh, so they are now like official partner for both the Grails and the Microsoft Foundations. Mm. So that's uh, really exciting. We have a, another uh, quite exciting partner, which is in the, which is actually quite an interesting company. Is um, is this uh, company in Germany? Uh, they're called Microstream, and they do um, a pure Java serialization engine. So if you have never think about it, uh, heard about them, uh, the idea is that instead of using a database, uh, you have like uh, your Java objects in kind of a graph and you can uh, persist them to disk. Um, so instead of using like Java serialization, uh, they have like their own serialization uh, built uh, and it works really nice. This kind of a paradigm change because you don't have to, it's really fast as you can imagine because you don't have to go to a database and come back. Uh, you just essentially like uh, when you are like working with a collection, you have like to, uh, so what we, do, we have done with them is we have worked so to integrate that with micro. So you can use MicroStream with, with a great application, a Spring application or any Java application. So it's not uh, tied to micro, but we have added some convenience things to micro so that you can like configure it easily and uh, you can use microstream also as a as a cache implementation as well mm. 
and we have added annotations so that you can say like uh, store this parameter or store this return type. But essentially it's really nice because it's like uh, you forget about persistent gets out of the way. Um, we have actually a, a guide uh, which shows how to use it. Uh, so I will include that in the show notes. Uh, that's uh, homework for me, but they are really interesting. Uh, I'm going to be talking in, in a conference in September, which is an online conference, speaking about online conferences. Uh, and I have a talk about my code and a microstream. Um, so I, I, I will uh, give you those links for the show notes, but they are really interesting and they are like a what we call like an open source uh, partner of the Michael Foundation. Um, mm. And if anyone uh, is interested, check it out because it's really something that is um, nice. And speaking about features, so we released uh, Michael 3.5 or Michael 3.4, uh, I think since we talk, um, they are full of features. So, um, we, as we were discussing for microstream, we have a new module. Uh, we have a really nice integration with uh, CDK. Uh, CDK is this thing from Amazon, um, from AWS. It's the stands for Cloud Development Kit. And the idea is that you, uh, using like uh, objects, like Java objects, you define your infrastructure and they generate essentially the, I don't know, you can say like create a database and uh, and a Lambda function and this load balancer with code, with Java code, with ID autocompletion and things like that. And they essentially generate like a, a like a YAML file, which is actually the, so instead of, instead of typically when people talk about the infrastructure as code, they, that basically means like a YAML file with some Terraform script or some cloud formation script, right? And YAML file is, the problem with that is that it's a bit difficult to write, right? because uh, that's prone to error and, and you will really have to know the syntax of those uh, infrastructure of code things and with uh, CDK it's has really nice like auto-completion and things like that. At least for me, it really clicks for me in my brain. So we have uh, um, integration with that in MyCodeLaunch. Uh, we have um, support for the latest GraalVM uh, feature. We have um, a new, actually, uh, for people like me who are create a lot of micro applications on a day-to-day -day basis, we have a new uh, CLI command called mncreate, which is like an interactive prompt, which will guide you through uh, creating a micro application. Um, we are now integrating also features from the community. So for example, the Agora Pulse, this company in France, who is a friend of the Grails and Groovy community for a long time, the company where Vladimir, uh, uh, works and where uh, Simon works. Um, they have a couple of MyCode libraries, so you can select those in in MyCode Lunch. One of those libraries is called Gru, which is this kind of uh, how do they define it? It's like an interaction textile library, kind of where you define you have when I hit this endpoint, I expect this JSON to be there. Uh, things like that. So you can select those. Um, we have improvements uh, in microdata. We have support from MongoDB microdata. So many, many features. Uh, one of the features that I'm really excited about is our integration with Turbo. Uh, we are going to release a big guide and some blog posts within the next days. So hopefully people can check that out. But yeah, in general, quite busy with Micronaut. Um, a lot of new things. And 
yeah, the best place to keep up to date is probably our website. So either uh, the blog and my guides, um, and hopefully we are able to record Michael podcast episodes soon, which I really enjoyed. And we have made kind of a long break and hopefully we can resume that soon. Well, on the, the show notes, we've included a link to the, the YouTube channel and the podcast and the Twitch channel, of course. But uh, what I try to update each time is the most recent list of Micronaut guides, but it's difficult to keep up with that because it's so active. So if you want to add a couple more to that or whatever, you know, of course, feel free. Uh, I don't, uh, I didn't see anything on the, the MicroSim uh, database the yet. The microsim we have we have one guide. Um, I I will include. We have we published actually one guide yesterday, which is quite interesting. Is uh, you have a Spring Boot application in the sense of all Java code using Spring Boot annotations. Mm. So what you are used to REST controller uh, configuration properties, the Spring Boot one. So everything as you will have in a Spring Boot application, and you essentially at build time compute it into a micro application. Oh, wow. So the same is the same Spring Boot code, but computed into a Microsoft application, and that's quite interesting. We 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 had for a long time a Microsoft Spring module, but we want to to double down on that and make the transition from companies uh, who have some parts of the code base they using Spring and Spring Boot to Microsoft easier. So that's. Um, that's something that you can expect from us in the future. Um, and that's something that I am seeing more and more when I talk to clients, like people like have like a, a mix of code bases with some old applications running in Spring and some new applications written in Micronaut. And they want to sometimes use some libraries from one into the other one and vice versa. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's exciting. What's the uh, Java version that you use as a baseline inside of Micronaut? We are still supporting Javite. Um, we have like a, an issue actually uh, to discuss uh, whether we will drop a 8 and 11 or only 8. So I think you can expect that Micron 4 will drop 8 for sure, I would say. Not, not decided yet, but that's probably coming. I will drop support for 8 and whether to drop support for 11 uh, and just support uh, 17 or higher. That's something up to debate. Um, my code four will be out uh, late this year. Um, not sure if we will be like in the last quarter or in September, probably last quarter. Um, but that's something we have to decide. So if anyone in the community has opinions, uh, please uh, search for uh, in my code core issues. There is like something like considering JK, something like that. Let me, I mean, let me search for the name of the issue. Yeah, each of the frameworks is going through this debate now. I mean, this year it seems to difficult. be the year. Pardon me? It is a difficult debate um, because there are things um, such as cloud vendors support for JDK 17, which is still, mm. still not 100% there. Um, so we have to think. Uh, I mean, they are working on that, absolutely. So it is the problem is where you, how to align. Um, and then it's, some people will be, of course, uh, whenever you drop like a JDK version, some people will be affected. 
even if all cloud vendors support it. Uh, but I think for now, for us, at least my personal opinion, uh, not sure what we will do as a framework, but my personal opinion is that um, if all the cloud vendors already support JDK 17, then it will be safer for us to say, okay, we support only JDK 17, right? But well, I, I expect that most cloud vendors will support 17. That, and I think most of them already do. I don't know if all of them do, but the, the major ones seem to have it. Uh, the question is really more of a minimum, you know, and Java 8 is seriously old now and has a lot of limitations to it, especially regarding security issues. And this, according to the, the latest survey I saw, which is a couple months ago, the one from New Relic, you probably saw that go around. The survey results suggested that the number of Java 11 installations has finally exceeded the number of Java 8 ones. Now, that's a somewhat self-selecting audience, you know, the, the survey results came from people who already decided that. And Java 17 was tiny in terms of market share, but growing very rapidly. But if you grow from one, you know, it's <laughs> any growth at all is going to seem really large. Um, I know a lot of companies who are transitioning this year, and they're going through the debate of whether they should go to 11 or 17. It's a source of some mild frustration of the Java team that they're only going to long-term support versions. It's like the, the, the Java team is a little frustrated by the fact that a lot of Java developers are treating the versions that aren't long-term support as though they're betas, when in reality they are fully realized, fully released Java versions, just only with six months of uh, support associated with them. Um, I know that the, the Spring people, you mentioned Spring specifically, Spring 6, when that comes out at toward the end of this year, Spring 6 and Spring Boot 3, are good. that's going to be the first major framework I know of that's going to require Java 17. And, and it's the biggest framework. So they are going to for sure push the industry forward because that's a I mean, bold move. I mean, that's that's a risk. I, I could I mean, they are the market leader. And it's very nice that Micronaut has an easy transition path from that. But to mandate Java 17, I mean, are companies going to just go, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Or are they going to look at alternatives or are they going to say, yeah, all right, well, this is the opportunity. I mean, the upgrade path from 11 to 17 is, I mean, it was trivial. It, it didn't remove anything. It only added anyway. Uh, but we'll have to see if companies do jump on the bandwagon or not. But I think uh, VMware is going to support the Spring Boot 2 as well. So I may oh, have yeah. the resources to support both. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think if companies want to stay in Spring Boot 2 and just keep using JDK 11, that should be fine. So I think it is. I think it's great that they are like pushing the industry forward uh, because they are like kind of the apple of the JVM frameworks, right? Mm. Uh, so if they go, if they go like only 17, they are like making the decision easier for for all the smaller frameworks such as Micronaut or Quarkus or only other framework, right? This is like kind of. Apple saying like they support USB-C or something like that, right? So it's kind of like a, a signal for the industry, like we should go as high as we can with uh, JDKs. Um, yeah, uh, speaking of what you just said about uh, people like treating like um, only like working with LTL releases, uh, <laughs> the frameworks we are probably like responsible as well, like uh, 
so he kind of uh, built only like for those LTS releases. So mm -hmm. we really don't don't test, for example, in in like uh, I don't know. We I don't think we never tested with with non LTS versions. Mm. Right. Um, and I think in a starter for in Michael Lunch, I don't think you can select like uh, I think you can select only LTS releases. Well, I think there's a drop down where you could pick alternatives, yeah. but uh, the the Grails people were debating that as well. I've seen that as an active area of discussion as to what minimum level of JDK they're willing to support, especially when they move to Grails five or whatever, and then they're going to have to really make a decision there. So we'll, it'll be something worth watching. And of course, as you say, VMware will continue to support Spring Boot two and Spring five. I'm sure that'll continue on. But yeah. they're going to make a serious push. I mean, they've even posted blog posts recently justifying the decision and claiming how popular it was, which to me sounded like, I mean, I don't want to call it propaganda, but it, it was wishful thinking, I think. I mean, I think they're going to get a lot of uh, pushback when they actually do make that decision. But we'll see. I mean, because that's also for the spring people. I assume this will affect Micronaut as well. That's when they're going to move to the latest uh jakarta ee versions as opposed to the java ee versions you know with all that chaos as well are you having to deal with any of that yet we have not completed the whole thing but we have replaced many of so yeah you see many many places the jakarta annotations already mm. um, but yeah we still have some places i think the i think the constraints we are still using the java x imports there are a couple yeah. of places yeah yeah, for the people who are not familiar with that scenario, that that uh, drama, Oracle seems to be really uninterested in maintaining an enterprise version of Java anymore. They really don't care about it. They have their cloud provider, but all they really want to produce is the, the JDK and really the JDK specification and then have everybody else produce uh, versions of it. So they took the Java Enterprise Edition and basically handed it to the Eclipse Foundation. They made it, what is it, EE for J, I think, Eclipse Enterprise for Java, something like that, gave it to them. And then when Eclipse went to make the new version of this, when the people associated with Eclipse went to revise versions of the Java EE individual specs, that's when Oracle stepped in and said, yeah, now you can't call your packages uh, Java dot whatever or Java X dot whatever, because that's our trademark. And they're like, but people are like, but you gave this to us. I mean, this is your idea. And they're like, yeah, I know, but you still can't use it. <laughs> and therefore there's this massive renaming as part of the Java EE version change. So instead of using Java dot whatever or Java X dot whatever, it's going to be Jakarta dot whatever. Yeah. named after the capital of Indonesia on the island of Java. But it's like they created the chaos and <laughs> now they're forcing everybody to update as a result of it. So, I mean, but I don't think it's actually changing the implementations. It's just a big giant renaming. Yeah, hopefully it's it's the changes required in your applications that are like lower than they seem. So it's, as you said, it's mostly like just renaming. Yeah. Some imports we are using Jakarta. But you can't mix them. I mean, you kind of have to do everything at once. And that's that's where life is getting kind of chaotic. But that's uh, when um, spring moves to six, when spring boot moves to three, 
that's a big part of it is they're going to be adopting all the Jakarta namespaces and all those implementations. And we'll see what impact that has, if any. But at uh, any rate, so that's um, it's interesting to hear that Micronaut is so active among the, the various projects in the Groovy ecosystem. This is probably one of the most. I noticed that um, Graham- Very active. Graham, yeah, very active. Uh, Graham Roche is giving multiple Micronaut talks in many places. Of course, he works for Oracle now, still- mm -hmm find that strange but okay and uh the one that i have listed here is that he's actually going to be giving a talk at you mentioned deb you mentioned uh conferences in poland uh so he's, he's going to be talking talk in devox yeah, yeah which is like DevOx, in, poland. i think that's in a couple of weeks right like I the think 20... maybe maybe next week even yeah maybe yeah even... and then you're yeah. giving a, a micronaut talk at jbcn conf the one in and Graham as well. I think I will be I will meet Graham in person in Barcelona. Uh, That's gonna be in July. Um, hmm. Yeah, we have a talk in. I have a Microsoft security talk, and Graham has a I think Microsoft and VM talk in in Barcelona. Uh, that's cool. Uh, I live like six hundred kilometers away from Barcelona or five hundred, hmm. but I have not been in Barcelona for a long time. Uh, funny enough, even if I, ha I have a lot of family, I have like five uncles living there. <laughs> so I will try to like visit some family there. Um, unless there's people so, are trying to avoid, right? No, sorry. Unless, <laughs> unless there, are there are family members that I'm trying to avoid, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's in July. Uh, we are also doing, uh, and excuse the self-promotion, we are doing an online training about Mycot and Lambda uh, in July as well. That's now, 11... Lambda is an overloaded word. So which Lambda are you referring to? AWS Lambda. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, AWS Lambda, the serverless uh, function as a service solution from AWS, uh, not the Java Lambda <laughs> construct. Well, uh, did, did you notice, I mean, that again was in the news. It's not the Java Lambda that I'm even thinking of conflicting with. It's that Google AI one that the you heard about that Google employee who got no. let go because he thought that their AI became sentient. You know? no, I, 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 oh yeah. And, and their internal system, it's called Lambda again. So there's another usage of the word Lambda. And he claimed that it's actually alive and that they need to get permission to do any testing on it. And it's just a piece of software. I mean, you know, you look at, at uh, like, if you're ever worried about general AI, look at your YouTube recommendations and say, wow, you know, I mean, it's, we are so far from anything like that. And yet, again, they just love to use the, they overloaded the keyword Lambda again, and, and here we are. Um, yeah, yes, have the blog post open, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, feel free to add the, the training class to the show notes as well. That would be very nice. Uh, and as you mentioned in passing, I should point out, we have something in the show notes about the, uh, the release from the Grails Foundation about JetBrains becoming a tools and infrastructure partner for them as well. There wasn't a lot of activity that I was able to track down in Grail specifically, but that was an announcement and I did want to bring that up. And also speaking of Spock, back when we were covering that, I should also mention, again, this was a little while ago, but uh, our friend, Trisha G, who's a Java champion and independent now, she updated the Spock tutorial that uh, was prepared with IntelliJ in mind, IntelliJ idea, idea. So there's a lot of activity there. Speaking of Alicia, I, I, I bought her. Oh, you uh, did? 
Yeah, it's, I was actually quite a fan of this, uh, of the second edition of uh, Head First Java. I actually um, learned Java with that book. Ah, so okay. when I saw that she was like uh, co-authoring the third edition, I bought it. Um, uh, yeah, big, big fan of Head First uh, books. Um, uh, yeah, I had to have it. Um, That's been an adventure. I mean, the Head First, Head First Java, of course, created the whole, what turned out to be a series. And it was... Kathy Sierra and Bert Bates, and, and especially Kathy Sierra's uh, alternative approach to learning. And the reputation of the Head First books is that there were wonderful books for learning, not really great references. They weren't designed for that. They're designed to make yeah. it. They've got puzzles. They have cartoons. They have little exercises with mix and match and, and writing things together. I've, um, I, I liked the head first Java book. And of course, then the second edition came out, but the second edition was on Java five, just to give you an idea how old that was. Yeah, and ever since then, we've been waiting for an update. We are dating ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I knew that Trisha was working with Kathy and, and Bert Bates to actually finally do the update, but this has been years. And then they finally did it. And that will suddenly become the definitive beginner reference for Java or beginner tutorial, I guess I should say. Yeah, um, it's, it, 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 so I have not read it fully, but it has like, yeah. uh, it covers JDK 17 as well. So it, it covers oh. records and, and all the new features. And sealed classes um, and all those different. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I mean, um, I read head first Android development. I was a reviewer on that with the, the Don and Dave Griffiths wrote that one. Yeah. And then of course there was, and I suppose this will be the, the, the big event in our podcast. Uh, there was head first Kotlin as well. So there's your first. Yeah. I have not, Kotlin. I have not read that one. Uh, <laughs> there is an, another one really good Java book, uh, which is head first uh, design patterns or something like that in right. Java or, or right. Java pattern or something like that. It's design uh, patterns, yeah. Which is probably a bit outdated now because some of those patterns were based on, as you were saying, like old Java where no right. lambdas were available, some things like that. No stream API and yeah, many of really those book. right. Many of those patterns just kind of vanish once you have lambdas, you know. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see if they ever update that one. Uh, anyway, getting back to the groovy world, there's no head first groovy, by the way. I yeah. I did once actually talk about to them about that. Uh, years and years ago, but I don't know of anybody following up on that anymore. Uh, Groovy is currently on 4.0.3. They released another minor version with a bunch of bug fixes and improvements. But Groovy 4, the big issue there, of course, is that they've switched their coordinates from org.codehouse.groovy to org.apache.groovy, which is basically the last step in the conversion to becoming an Apache project. But then it supports everything. It supports the, the switch expressions from Java, the sealed classes and interfaces and native records and, and everything. And the, the other thing it adds, by the way, the one that I'm, I'm interested in watching the community react to is uh, Jink, right? G-I-N-Q, yeah. that the groovy integrated query language. I, I assume that's pronounced Jink. I'm not sure how else I'd pronounce it. But uh, we, there were a couple of um, blog posts and videos talking about that recently. I saw that that Jink for the Win one by somebody named Rick Scarborough, who I didn't know, uh, put in a few examples on how to use Jink. Uh, the, the basic concept behind Jink is that you can use SQL-like queries 
on non-SQL-based data structures. So you could do SQL queries on JSON data, for example, JavaScript object notation and things like that. And, and I know that it's been a while since this has come out, but it's taking a little while to filter through the community. Um, our friend uh, Shimon Stepniak had a, a very nice video, a YouTube video called these 10 new features make Groovy 4.0 awesome. Uh, amazing actually, video. Oh yeah, well, he's uh, quite the- He's a professional YouTuber, it's uh, unbelievable. <laughs> he's, he has like the sound effects, the, everything is like, wow. And that actually, that video is part of a playlist. Like he has a whole series. He's got one on Jink, he's got one on, well, many of the individual new features as well. So if you're interested in what's going on in the in the Groovy community with a lot of that, then that's a very good uh, series of um, videos to watch. I think there was something else on that. Uh, I guess I just mentioned that 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 Paul King, of course, the head of the Groovy project, has been, of course, extremely active, and he did a talk at your area, right? He did the the Groovy Four talk at the Madrid GUG, the Groovy user group there. Yeah. He did a talk in the Madrid Groovy User Group. Uh, so Madrid Groovy User Group is uh, still really engaged. They did a live meetup last week, which I couldn't attend, but uh, it, it is going back to in-person events again. Yeah, you were avoiding your family again. Is that the idea? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was, the, the, the Madrid is in Madrid, so I, I actually have relatives there as well, but I was, <laughs> I was not avoiding them. But the, the, um, Paul was, I think, a month ago or so, and he, like, uh, of course, he didn't come to Madrid to talk. It's like an online yeah. uh, talk. Um, and he wrote a blog post as well, I think, for... Or, or was maybe well, he made his slides available, the, the Groovy 4 update slides. And if you know anything about Paul King, you always want access to his slides because he always includes way more stuff in the slides than he has time to cover in any given talk. And those slides, I mean, I remember I, it's still I have the scars from when I was writing the my Making Java Groovy book years ago. It's that I would spend all this time investigating this feature in Groovy. And then I would do what I should have done, which is to look and see if Paul had a presentation on it. And of course he had a presentation where he covered everything in much greater detail than I ever imagined just over and over again. Um, so at any rate, I do recommend taking a look at his slides just to see what's going on. He also is one of those you know, quiet geniuses that has a way of making everything seem incredibly simple. Uh, I ran into that myself just as a personal story. I, I spent a little time working with an AI technique known as genetic algorithms. It's a, basically a nonlinear optimization technique. And I was struggling with this really impressive piece of open source software called genetics that starts with a J. It's you know, genetics with a J is a is a project that does genetic algorithms using Java 17, believe it or not. I mean, it's got all the <laughs> Java 17 stuff in it. And it was really complicated and hard. And I talked to Paul about it. And Paul said, oh, yeah, take a look at this. And he'd written like a 10-line groovy script that simplified how to use it down to incredibly simple form because he just does things like that. And it's, it's dazzling. So I, I just really recommend, if you ever get a chance to see Paul uh, make a presentation, or even more importantly, get a chance to look at his slides, then I, I definitely recommend that. 
there is a blog post which you included in the show notes from uh, Rick uh, Scarborough. Scarborough, yeah. Uh, who actually has an example as the one that you were describing, like mm -hmm. using Jink to query like a JSON file. Right. Uh, which I think is really, it's a really good example because you see actually what Jink is about. I think that's yeah. great because that is a, an area that it's one of those areas where people sometimes don't realize they really need this until they see that. And they go, oh, wow, yeah. that's going to make my life so much easier because so much data is coming from RESTful Web Services in JSON format now. And there's, you know, of course, there's already databases like MongoDB that use JSON as a native format, well, BSON, but whatever. But how do you query it? You know, how do you search for it? And of course, MongoDB uses JavaScript as its querying language. And that's okay. I mean, it's, it's up to you whether you like that idea or not, but Jink it makes it a nice little DSL, nice little domain specific language for doing yeah. that. And, and I think that's very attractive. Um, by the way, another interesting little feature that uh, our, that Dirk Koenig, the, the infamous uh, Dirk Koenig, who was the, the original lead author on Groovy in Action, uh, tweeted about the fact that GitHub Copilot, the AI-driven pair programmer, as they call it, supports Groovy as well. Uh, have you ever used GitHub Copilot, by the way? I have never. Um, yeah, I've never well, I've been playing with this thing, and I, I wouldn't say I have a love-hate relationship with it. I'd say I have a, um, a like dislike you know i i either really like it or i'm not sure about it relationship with it for those who are not aware uh, github copilot is trained it's an ai that's trained on github repositories but in order for you to use it and use it as, it's got a plug-in inside intellij which is where i use it in order for you to use it you have to log into your github account and therefore, every time you start to type code, GitHub Copilot will make suggestions. It'll say, oh, here's, is this what you're trying to write? And it'll suggest this ton of multi multiple lines of code. And you just hit the tab key and accept all of it. And I really like it because it's right a lot. But I worry about it because it's also wrong a lot. And the problem is, is that because it's trained on actual projects and even more trained on your own code, the code that it suggests always looks plausible. It looks about right. But you really have to be careful because it could be just off enough that you just don't recognize that, oh, there's an error there. So it just really puts a huge premium on writing test cases, you know, which, of course, we should be doing anyway. But it, you know, there was a, a series, a, a tweet stream last week, I think, by one of the heads of one of the executives at GitHub. I can't remember who it was specifically. And they made this bold claim that like half of the contributions they're seeing in some GitHub repositories are coming from GitHub Copilot, that they're, they're getting these suggestions. And he expects within five years, it'll be up to like 80%. And there's always the joke that we're, we're going to put ourselves out of a job here, which is like, yeah, good luck with that. you know. Um, but I found it interesting. One, I, I'm still enjoying playing with it more or less until it drives me crazy. But also, uh, as I say, Dirk pointed out that Copilot works on uh, Groovy as well. By the way, if you do the GitHub Copilot website, 
the examples that they use right on the front page are either TypeScript or Go or Python or Ruby. <laughs> they don't even mention Java or anything no, JVM they related. Have, they, have, they have one Java file. I just opened it. Oh, the yeah, they're there. And it, you have, have to like scroll down. Java. Right. Yeah. You scroll down, they've got a person.java and you can see all that. And it just shows how, I mean, when I first got into the training business, when I got into the industry back around 2000, Java was the hot topic. I mean, I used to teach a Java training class every week, practically. Uh, now, apparently, I'm not in any of the hot areas anymore. Uh, I don't, I'm surprised they don't have a Rust example or whatever. But it is nice to hear that it supports Groovy as well. But I have not, I mean, other than doing little hello world examples, I have not tried to test it with Groovy code at all. But we'll have to see how that, uh, how that develops over time. How do you use it? Do you use it with IntelliJ or? Yeah, yeah. I It's a plugin in IntelliJ and it does require you to verify, you know, to log in to GitHub and verify that, yes, this is, you're giving it permission to look at your stuff. And then as you are typing, you type uh, a line of code or just put in a variable and it goes, oh, is this the code you're trying to write? And it, it shows it all in an italicized font. And if you just hit the tab key, you accept all that code. And unfortunately, there's no way to accept just part of it. You kind of have to grab it all. But there's also a tab for GitHub Copilot where you could click on the tab and see a bunch of alternative suggestions as well for the current file. You could just click a button and refresh them and accept various alternatives. And as I say, they're all plausible. They all look about right, even when they're completely wrong. <laughs> So you really have to watch it. You have to keep an eye on it, but it's an enormous time saver. My problem is I teach a lot of the same training classes over and over. So when I go to use an example, I type a couple of lines and it goes, oh, do you mean this? And of course it's right because I've done it multiple times before. <laughs> and I was like, no, I was going to show everybody how to develop that. It is well trained, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's trained. Yeah, exactly. Well trained. Oh, well, moving on from that. Um, Let's see, what else do we have in the, the show notes? Anything you want to remark on? Yeah, not really. So, uh, well, there's really one comment. Speaking of Jink, we mentioned that before. IntelliJ, the current version of IntelliJ IDEA that I have is, uh, actually, let me just check real quick just to be 100% sure here. It's... Um, 2022.1.2 is my version of IntelliJ Ultimate, but there's a beta or EAP, early access of 2022.2. And it's been pointed out that in fact, that supports Jink in Groovy 4. So the 2022.2 version, when it is finally released, uh, will have Jink support inside Groovy 4 and everything. So I'm glad to see that there are people at IntelliJ who still at least care somewhat uh, about Groovy as well. So I just wanted to mention. Yeah, that. they are they are supporting like um, it's cool. I think um, one of the things that I saw in IntelliJ, uh, they have removed. I think the Grails integration. Uh, I know they before you have to add a plugin. It's before well, it was like baked in. And now you have to add like the extent, you have to add like extension. Oh, it's so not it, a baseline plugin anymore. When you just install IntelliJ, anymore. it doesn't come with it, but the, the plugin is there. Yeah, and it still yeah. seems to work just fine. But yeah. yeah, it's not one of the automatic ones, I don't think anymore. 
Um, getting away from IntelliJ, there was a blog post just like yesterday or the day before from Paul King. I, I meant to bring this up as well, because this is the big thing that's coming in the future of Java. In Java 19, they're talking about this being a really high impact release because they're finally bringing in the Project Loom beta, if you will. The They don't call them betas there. They call it, uh, uh, what is it called? preview edition. So the first preview of Project Loom will be in Java 19. And for those who are not aware, that's the virtual threads. That's what they were calling fibers for a while, but they've changed their mind and started calling virtual threads. And Paul King wrote a blog post about how you can experiment with this with Groovy now using the Jeepers framework, G-P-A-R-S. And you have to have the early edition, early access version of Java 19 to do this. But of course, Paul makes it all look simple again, using actors and, and uh, parallel streams and all those things. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh, I, um, I mean, I've been using virtual threads in the sense that I've been using coroutines in Kotlin for years now. And still, nobody has adequately explained to me what virtual threads buy me that coroutines didn't. You know, they're talking about structured concurrency. Again, Kotlin's had structured concurrency in it for years now. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, at any rate, that's coming in September. The, the first early access version. Uh, sorry, not early access. The first preview edition of Project Loom is scheduled to be added to Java 19 out in September. Yep. So if you're at all interested in that, then take a look at, at Paul's blog post on Jeepers meets virtual threads. That's what he's got in there. Uh, there's a couple other introductory type tutorials. I, I saw this YouTube video, which totally surprised me. I'd never heard about this I'm at all. Cream. Oops, sorry. Um, and it was called, Seems nice. it's called, uh, wait a minute. I'm trying to find the, the link now. Um, where was it? Oh, here, the one on planning implementation in Oracle EPM. It was an introduction to Groovy, a YouTube webinar run by these guys, uh, Joe Altman and Kevin Whalen. I never heard of them talking about planning implementation in Oracle EPM. And the whole thing said, yeah, we got to do this webinar because apparently Groovy is everywhere in this community. And these aren't necessarily object-oriented developers so much as people who do scripting and everything to do planning. And apparently Groovy is huge in that community and I had no idea. You know, do you know anything about that at all? Uh, no, no, not really. Yeah, uh, we, we're gonna have to talk to somebody over there. We're gonna have to make contact because I just sort of saw the tweet, you know, and thought, wow, let me go take a look at that. And I didn't watch the whole webinar, but it's fascinating to see there's another community where they rely on basically groovy scripting, you know, just like the the other place that used to do that was soap based web services, right? There was uh, soap UI used groovy scripting and also Jenkins has a plugin that uses groovy scripting. You know, there's these places you just don't necessarily think of that are seriously using groovy in non-traditional server-side Java development ways, but rather in, as a nice scripting tool for uh, automating processes and things like that. I think uh, Adaptive is uh, like a couple of uh, 
I think they were writing like, uh, maybe I'm saying it completely wrong, but I think they were like extending Jira uh, via Groovy scripts to like mm. write like Jira automation. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Groovy is used in places that we have no idea. Of course, uh, one, I, I added one link almost on purpose to embarrass the, the creator, uh, James Clee, of course, who's part of the Grails team, or at least was, uh, actually wrote a Groovy Excel builder <laughs> that uses Apache Poi to create Excel files using Groovy. And he'd wrote, he'd written it a couple of years ago, but it came up on a tweet recently when they were talking about, I think uh, Shimon was talking about uh, creating Excel spreadsheets with Groovy and, and James just felt obligated to say, you know, by the way, I built this years ago and put a link to it. And I thought, oh, we've got to include that because he's probably horrified that, that we're including it here with Excel. So it's really nice there. There is another library uh, who Vladimir uh, at Musketeer on Twitter, he wrote called uh, the website is spreadsheet.dsl.builders. Oh, right, right. So what's that one again? What's it called? A spreadsheet dot dsl dot builders is uh, i don't know how i didn't know that builders was a valid domain name uh, uh, it's not coming I, up oh i spelled it wrong ah I, I will put it in the chat um no i got it i got it he, su he supported he support he supports both groovy and java uh, and of course if you like write the excel files with a groovy they are like nicer to read because this is kind of uh a place where a DSL really signs to write like an Excel file and to and one of the nice things yeah. about this library is that uh, so I have not I have not used James library I have used this one this one is also built on top of Apache Poi right and one of the nice things that this library has is they have really nice support to to query Excel files mm. because one of the things that we typically do as developers is all of almost every application I have worked. They have at one point there is like functionality to export the data as an Excel file or as a CSV file, mm. but almost never I have seen a test that actually tests that the thing that you are writing to the Excel file is correct. And typically that's because maybe developers we are lazy, but also because testing, uh, reading a file with Apache Poi and testing the contents is a bit cumbersome. And this library they, makes it really easy to kind of query and say like. When I download this Excel file, uh, let me check that this data is actually inside the, the Excel file. So if anyone is working with um, with Excel files, uh, I think a spreadsheet builder works with things beyond Excel. Mm. Uh, but I personally have used it with Excel. Uh, it works really nice. Um, I could have used that years ago. Yeah, I, I once had a very small consulting project where I was taking a ton of data that was already in Excel and porting it to a database, I yeah. mean, to a real database, you know, and it, it was actually using Apache Poi, but I didn't have the, the DSL capability. So I wrote in Groovy anyway, because it was just so much easier, but these would have been really convenient. Do you remember, by the way, what POI stands for, P-O-I, the Apache Project P-O-I? Do you know what that's? No saying? idea. Yeah, you won't find it on the website either. Uh, I think Microsoft got to them because it was called Poor Obfuscation Interface. <laughs> and like uh, the, the Excel format, which called HSSF, which stood for Horrible Spreadsheet Format. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I love that. And then they they took away, of course, the the definition somewhere. So they refer to that obliquely, but they don't actually ever spell it out anymore. So I, I imagine somebody at Microsoft said, "Wait a minute, you can't you can't do that." But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing how much data is out there that's actually stuck in Excel spreadsheets. And and there's uh, great that there's APIs to to work with that data writing Ruby. I mean, to be honest, I am really a, a, a beginner user of Excel, but there is people that do crazy things with Excel. Mm, yeah, yeah. So there are do. companies which essentially like they run the whole company with Excel. Well, it's also um, a transition path for people who aren't really developers to become developers because they start yeah. off writing their Excel macros and then they start getting into like, you know, Visual Basic or whatever, you know, the, the VBA. And then they start going, oh, wow, I want to write real code here and, and, it, it's a nice path into it. Uh, I think that covers pretty much everything I had in the show notes. Is there, oh, I, I think that's, uh, oh, um, there's a video that I included from our old friend Cedric Champeau that some guy named Sergio was also involved in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, apparently that was how Micronaut, the, how the Micronaut team practices that, topic called developer productivity engineering, which sounds so pretentious to me, but at any rate, with uh, the Gradle Enterprise tool. So you had a, a discussion with Cedric about that. Do you want to say anything about that one, by the way? Yeah, we did an online where the people from Gradle Inc., they invited mm. us to, so they, they have, I think they have coined the term, or maybe at least the first time I heard about the developer productivity engineering, which they have like an acronym, DPE. Yeah, and uh, I, I think the first time I heard it is, was from them, and they are like doing like quite often like uh, this kind of talks with people in companies like they are like kind of um, trying to to really make uh, hammer the point home like uh, you have to like optimize your bills because at the end of the day you are losing out the productivity of your people like uh, if the bills are slow, if CI is slow, if all those things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in my code, we have been a huge um, user of Gradle since the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and we still are. Uh, so we built all of, of our projects with Gradle. And since Cedric came, uh, we have been improving a lot. Uh, as you can imagine, Cedric is a Gradle developer extraordinaire. So... Um, he has been helping us to improve a lot uh, our processes and kind of we have like internal build plugins mm. um, to, and in that, in that uh, the, I think they posted the, the video to YouTube uh, so yeah. what we discussed essentially the challenges that we faced so one of the challenges that we have in MyCode is that MyCode is a, a huge multi-project repository organization if you want to think about it we have like 60 models or like that Mm. In active development, we have like quite an, uh, a small team scattered throughout the world. Uh, and anything that we can do to automate is really important for us uh, because uh, not just in terms of speed, but also in terms of like being able to like jump into a project and have the same project structure the same way. So that you are able to contribute to any module. Uh, so we discuss things such as our usage of like internal build plugins, our usage. So Gradle is a sponsor of the Microsoft Foundation as well mm, and the Great right. Foundation. And one of the things that they 
have given us for free is uh, we have a Gradle Enterprise uh, instance. Mm. Uh, so we are using Billcash and they recently introduced the one feature that uh, we are still scratching the surface, but I think it will be have a huge impact for us is they have been speaking about AI that we spoke before. They have introduced oh, this thing right. called predictive test selection. Mm. The idea there is um, if we I give you our example, our biggest example that we have. We have this thing called MicroLange, which is uh, the equivalent to a Spring Initializer. Is this generator of micro applications that you can reach in lunch.micro.io. Mm -hmm. And that code is also the code that powers the micro command line interface, the micro CLI. So that as part of that project, we have a lot of functional tests. And those tests, they do things such as generate a project using, I don't know, micro and AWS Lambda and run the build so that you check that the project compiles and the tests pass, right? Right. And we do that with all the features. And we have many tests that are completely unrelated with each other, right? So what happens for us is sometimes we change something in the micro GCP feature and our whole, a lot of tests that we know as humans that they are completely unrelated to that change, they are rerun, right? And for us, that means that not just in local development, but also on GitHub Actions in CI, the build is extremely slow. So the promise of predictive text selection is that with uh, machine learning, which is always this marketing term, but with machine learning, they are like learning uh, which tests should be run depending on which parts of your code you change. Mm. And that way, instead of like rerunning your whole test suite, you are just rerunning a part of your test suite. And what we have done is that we have enabled that in PRs so when, when we actually release, we are actually running the whole thing. But for PRs, we are like using that thing so that we are enabled to like only rerun uh, a partial uh, subset of the test suite. And I think that's really, really interesting. Uh, as I said, we are still learning uh, how, to, um, how to benefit from that. But that's quite a huge benefit that I think we are going to get from Gradle Enterprise. Uh, yeah, Eric Eric Wendelin, I think, is the head of that project over at Gradle, and I've talked to him about some of this. I mean, I, I, there's so much to it. I, I imagine you know a lot more about it than I do. But as you say, it's predictive test selection. It's to guess which tests are the ones that are going to be most affected by any particular change. And of course, it does try to make sure it's somewhat pessimistic. It includes more tests than you might expect but it's a really nice way of finding out which tests are important, are critical, rather than doing a complete rebuild, which can take a long time. There are projects, we have this project, for example, which for us is, um, they're making a really good guess because there are parts of the code base that are completely like, um, so one of the things that they have is so in Gradle Enterprise, they have the whole thing for like detecting when you have like a flaky test, so, that, so they are able to understand exactly which parts of your code base are like more fragile and they have to rerun. So yeah, we are playing with that and we talk about that in that webinar. Uh, so if anything is interested, I am a big, um, I really like Gradle a lot. Uh, I use it for not just Java project, but things such as my website and and a lot of things. So we build the micro podcast RSS feed we build with Gradle and. 
We have recently moved the Minecraft Docs index page to an static generated page, and we build with Gradle. Mm. So I'm, I am a big fan of Gradle. Uh, and if anyone listening to the podcast is a big fan of Gradle as well, that probably is something that may interest you. Okay, well, well, great. I, I think that covers pretty much everything I had in mind, and I'm, I'm glad that we were able to include a couple of those features. Again, if you have any other uh, things you want to include in the show notes, especially things like additional Micronaut guides and, and other features there, uh, feel free to add, uh, add it. The show notes, as always, are in the GitHub repository, github.com slash groovy-podcast. That's the organization is groovy-podcast under the, the name of the repository is groovy podcast, all one word. The This is episode 87, otherwise known as season six, episode two. And we uh, are glad everybody's able to make it. Thank you very much for coming. And, and hopefully it won't be quite so long before we uh, do our next one again. Uh, I'm really glad you were available. It's always so hard to coordinate these schedules, but I'm glad we were able to do it. And of course, as we get closer to those additional conferences, uh, GBCN, as well as the great conf coming in the fall, we'll try to do additional highlights. Maybe we can get some interviews with some people who are presenting at some of these places as well. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, thanks I, for making this episode possible. I suppose I should mention, just for the sake of argument, I do have a, personally, I have a new book coming out, uh, just was released in beta from Pragmatic Programmers called Makito Made Clear. It's a short 50, 60 page book on the Makito testing framework. And I feel funny bringing that up when we were spending all this time talking about Spock, which has a mock stubs and spies mechanism built right in, but this is the one in the Java world. So a bit about that. Uh, otherwise, I don't have anything specifically personally that I want to bring up. Is there anything you want to bring up as well? No, that's great. I didn't know about your book. Uh, I actually lost. Uh, I, I was not aware that you had like a book uh, upcoming. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. That's it's something a, that I have to actually learn more because we are using Mokito in some of our My God guides. Uh, as you said, that's kind of the de facto standard for the JUnit Mokito. Well, they have um, at Pragmatic Programmers, this is at pragprog.com, they have what they call the Pragmatic Answers line. And Pragmatic Answers books are 50 to 60 pages, only ebooks, and they're like $10. You know, so they're quick and easy and of course it's taken me months to write this thing but it's actually on um pragprog.com on the home page uh the specific link would be slash title slash makito slash makito dash made dash clear and there it is if you're interested it's in beta so if you read it and have any feedback now's the time you know so I'll, it'll change the eventual implementation if you like that's cool that's absolutely great um not not today, but in the next one, mm -hmm. it will be good if you actually talk about how you write these books. Ah, okay. What are you using? If you are using AstiDog, what kind of software are you using to write them? How is the review process? Yeah, you're right. Uh, that's a that's a bigger topic, and we'll have to talk about the the status, the state of the publication, technical publishing industry, if you exactly. like it, in a, in a future podcast. That will be a, a special episode of the Groovy podcast, completely related to Groovy. I will tell you, however, that my Making Java Groovy book, which came out in 2013, 
is uh, still sending me royalties of approximately 15 to $20 a quarter. <laughs> so I see, I see. Some people are reading it. So even after all this time, uh, so that's good to know. Okay, uh, thank you very much for coming. And I'm gonna end the recording at this point and hopefully I will see you again uh, shortly. Take care, man. Thank you.